Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into another edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Andrew Gillis. Mike Nizek will join us later in the podcast because as we are coming on right now, we have breaking news coming out of the NFL who has announced that the Week 17 game between the Bills and Bengals, which, as you all know, was postponed on Monday, it is canceled. It is not going to be resumed. The decision was officially made by Roger Goodell after he spoke with members of the Bills, the Bengals, and the NFLPA, the Players Association. Um, and what they said verbatim, or somewhat paraphrasing what they said uh, on the decision was, the main thing is that this game would not have had effect any effect on uh, the Buffalo Bills or the Bengals making the playoffs because they're both in the postseason. On top of that, they would have had to postpone the playoffs for another week, which throws off 14 other teams you know, in both conferences. And as Mr. Goodell put it, uh, making the decision prior to week 18 is consistent to what he calls competitive principles, just so that way it allows other teams to know the playoff possibilities you know, before we get to wildcard weekend. Andrew, I know you've kind of read up on this, so uh, do you want to go through the scenarios here? Because there's really ultimately three main scenarios. Do you want to kind of run through them here? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, like you said, this this happened literally 10 minutes ago. Um, you know, we're still trying to kind of get a grip on everything. Um, you know, basically they said that, that you know, it creates competitive inequities in certain playoff scenarios. Uh, So what they said was, and I'm quoting here, the AFC championship game will be played at a neutral site if the participating teams played an unequal number of games and both could have been the number one seed and hosted the game had all clubs played a full 17 game. Those circumstances involve Buffalo or Cincinnati qualifying for the game as a road team. Um, So there's three scenarios here that matter um, for the Bengals, but for, for the league too. Uh, the first one, Buffalo and Kansas City both win or tie this weekend. Then that potential AFC championship game. Now, again, both of them would have to make the AFC championship game. Uh, that'd be played at a neutral site. Uh, Buffalo, Kansas City, I'm not sure where that would be. I think that that's a thing they're going to determine later. Uh, scenario two, Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Baltimore wins. Buffalo, Kansas City game would be at a neutral site. So that takes the rate or the, excuse me, the Bengals out of it. Um, so the Bengals are, you know, they're still playing for something this week. Uh, scenario three, and this is the last one, Buffalo and Kansas city, both lose and Cincinnati wins a Buffalo or Cincinnati versus Kansas city championship game would be in a neutral site. So basically if the Bengals win, you're rooting for the bills and the chiefs to both lose because then what you're rooting for is a neutral site AFC championship game. You're rooting for an AFC championship game that would not have to be played at Arrowhead or in Buffalo or anything like that. But the additional part of this is that if the Ravens win on Sunday and the two teams are going to play in wildcard weekend as the three, six matchup, then that site 
would be a um, that site would be determined by a coin toss um, because Baltimore wow. would have be- Baltimore would have beaten Cincinnati twice, um, and, and obviously we don't know you know kind of how Monday night was going to play out. So there's a lot going on, and I, I'm sorry for quoting that verbatim to everybody listening. You know, it's just there's so much here. Uh, the league is going to be voting on this tomorrow, which will be Friday. So, you know, we should have some kind of resolution. The good news is, um, you know, we, we're not going to have to worry about moving the schedule around. The schedule's not going to change. The schedule is going to stay the same. But if you're the Bengals, here's what it comes down to. You got to win. This isn't a game where you can rest your starters because if you lose and the Ravens, I, I would have to check the standings, but if you lose and somehow you were going to play them in round one, then you might have to go to M&T Bank Stadium for Wild Card Weekend, and you don't want to do that. Uh, you don't want to go on the road. So, and I don't know what that would do in terms of standings. Um, that's not something we have information to. Um, like you know, if that's the three-six matchup, the Ravens just you know are the Bengals still the three seed? You know, would they be the sixth seed all of a sudden? Because that matters. Because whoever wins that game, it depends. Who, it, that matters who you're going to play their next round in the uh, divisional playoffs. So there's a lot going on here, and it's it's we're just going to have to kind of take it as it comes. Absolutely. But like you said, though, the biggest thing where this pertains to the Bengals most is they have to win. Because if they don't, then like you said, either, you know, you're going to have to go to M&T Bank Stadium or, I mean, yeah, like it's very possible that it, it could come down to a coin toss. And, you know, like that's it's a 50 50 chance at that point. And here's the thing, too, though, like people also have to understand the only way the Bengals could theoretically host the AFC championship game is if you don't have Buffalo or Kansas City. So if somehow both of those teams got upset in either round of the playoffs, whether it be wild card uh, or the divisional round, that's the only way the Bengals host. So that means you're, you're, you, a lot of weird things would have to happen. Um, and we'll, again, we just have to see how that goes. But again, that's the only way the Bengals host an AFC championship. But that can't even happen if they don't win. So if you even want to have the slight possibility of hosting, you need those teams to lose in the playoffs specifically. Uh, beforehand is different because you laid out what happens in the regular season and what that leads to, but that's what that is. And again, uh, we'll, we'll have more on that on cleveland.com slash Bengals uh, just so that you can read through it uh, as we'll have everything laid out more specifically. But that is what it is, though. Again, we were wondering what is going to happen with this Bills-Bengals game. We know what's going to happen, and that's nothing. Nothing's going to happen with that game. Um, and they are going to be voting on the specific resolution moving forward tomorrow. Like you said, Andrew, that's an important detail to note. Uh, so, yeah, really good job laying that out there. Uh, definitely, like I said, a lot to ingest, but we're going to take it as it goes. But, you know, as we kind of move forward again, um, that doesn't take away from the current focus of the league, which is Damar Hamlin's health, which took a great turn for the better on Thursday uh, at UC Medical Center, where really physicians uh, detailed it and said he had a, quote, remarkable recovery uh, thanks to the life-saving care he had on the field. Um he has been responsive, like he has been uh, gripping hands, like he was gripping someone's hand uh, in the hospital. He was also able to write. And the crazy thing about that, that everyone's probably known about at this point is, you know, he wrote down to the doctors who were there who won the game on Monday because he didn't know it was, you know, canceled or postponed. And the doctor said, you won. 
you won at life. You won at the game of life. And that, I think those words right there created such a shift for those following the situation. And more importantly, if you know, for a lot of the Bengals players we talked to, Andrew, you know, it seemed like, again, there's still a lot of, you know, worry and concern. But more importantly, you could kind of feel a shift of, you know, there's that hope of, hey, he's better. He's going to be okay. Um, and so I guess from what you saw in the locker room, I know you talked to a couple guys like Cal Adamitis, his friend from high school and college. How much of an impact do you think that has for the Bengals and their morale on Sunday? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Cal said that, you know, he, he got a jolt of energy. He said special teams coach Darren Simmons told him today, um, you know, that kind of what was going on and the update with DeMar, um, you know, Cal said that that kind of gave him a jolt of energy. Uh, you know, Ted Karras had a really good quote on it, too. Um, you know, I, it said like it I think it said he said that it re- resolved or um, it renewed or whatever word renewed his spirit. It renewed yeah, his spirit renewed or resolved or whatever it was, his spirit um, renewed his spirit. So the you really kind of got the sense that guys were kind of waiting on pins and needles to see what happened. I mean, especially for, you know, for some of the offensive guys who were who were, you know, right out there and who, you know, may have had, you know, may have seen more than, than players from the sideline. Um, you know, I think that that, you know, really mattered a lot. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it, you could definitely tell that, that guys were kind of waiting on pins and needles, just kind of hoping for the best with him. And, um, you know, obviously there's still a lot more, but everything, you know, everything sounds good right now. And that, and that matters to the guys They're uh, they're all still kind of waiting on on news for him as every day every day uh, passes by. Absolutely, and so you know, for me, I was mostly talking to T Higgins, and of course, people were wondering how he was doing. You know, when you saw how visibly shaken up he was when he left the stadium with his mom on Monday, and he was in good spirits. Like he said himself, he was word for word. He said, "I feel more whole," and he said it's because he saw that Hamlin was doing better and he's neurologically uh, intact and responding to the doctors and his family the way that we just described. Um, and he had a smile on his face. T Higgins did. And, you know, one thing he said to me that stood out is, you know, with the focus for them being on the Ravens now, which I'll get to as far as how they're planning for that. Like, you know, one thing he said was he's just so blessed to be able to be in the position he's in because he said, there's a lot of people who would love to be in our position right now being pro athletes. So he said, you know, for me to not smile would be crazy word for word. If I was not smiling, that would be crazy. So it shows you that even with the tragedy and the uncertainty they faced this week, there's still a lot of optimism. There's still good spirits, you know, and I even talked to Evan McPherson for those who don't know, uh, he had a message on Tuesday for a church in Cincinnati that him and his wife go to, you know, and he's not shy about his faith. He's a very uh, devout Christian. He said like, there's power in prayer. And, you know, he talked about other players who were, you know, kind of leaning on that too. And that's where a lot of optimism came from for those certain players in that aspect. Um, so you look at pr- the power of prayer for them, at least you look at the optimism, uh, you look at the good spirits. Again, it doesn't take away from some concerns and, you know, some traumas that we talk about the players might have, but it's certainly, I'm trying to find the right way to put this. It, it certainly puts more perspective, I think, for the players knowing that, hey, we have a game to play Sunday because T. Higgins said there's no way he was going to miss the game on Sunday. Ted Karras, you were there. He said the same thing, and I'm sure a lot of other players would agree. And, of course, it doesn't speak for all of them because, like Joe Burrow said, I mean, granted this was yesterday before we got the news on Hamlin, 
but there probably would have been mixed opinions at that point. And maybe there still are, but the ratio towards wanting to play leads higher in that category. So that's definitely something that I think is reassuring for, uh, you know, the players. And now that they know what this game means and that there are implications for beating the Ravens on Sunday, and we'll talk about the Ravens later. Um, Andrew, I think it definitely, when you have all of this kind of conclusion, you have all this certainty, it definitely makes, you know, it doesn't change the situation, but it definitely helps out going into Sunday. Don't you agree? Yeah. Um, you know, Brian Callahan said today that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of been a normal week, you know, in terms of game planning so far, um, you know, there's still obviously a lot going on. Um, but you know, he, he was kind of able, he said to, to really kind of get the game plan out like you would on a normal week. Um, and, and I think tomorrow is really when you're probably going to see a shift on Friday. That is, you know, you're really going to start to get kind of an idea of how guys are feeling. And um, it's uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, this is like, you know, the word got thrown around a lot um, unprecedented and it, it unprecedented, really kind of unprecedented. So um, I mean, like I said, with the playoff scenarios, you're just going to kind of have to take everything as it comes because it's kind of pointless to just blindly react to something. But I mean, this is um, it's it's going to be a unique week in Cincinnati and in Buffalo and kind of around the league for sure. Exactly. And again, just to go back on what you said on the scenarios, because I've seen some confusion on Twitter. So essentially, the Bengals have clinched the AFC North. But they have not, again, they have not clinched a home playoff game. That's why Sunday's so important. So we can say they've had back-to-back titles for the first time in franchise history, but we can't say that they're going to get a home game. So until they win, and of course, contingent on what happens with the Chiefs and Bills, I just wanted to declare that out there. Um, But, you know, looking forward, Andrew, I guess, before we head to break here, you know, what are you, you know, looking forward to, I guess – not looking forward to, but like when you talk to some of the players tomorrow, uh, when we talk to Zach Taylor tomorrow, do, you know, do you think the game plan changes a little bit? Like, do, you know, what do you think is going to be different as far as like the approach? Because like you said, it's been a normal week, like Brian Callahan said, but how much more normal do you think it's going to appear just being, you know, in the locker room and talking to Zach Taylor tomorrow? Yeah, I think tomorrow is is a day when you're probably going to get um... – you know, you're, you're probably going to get a, uh, a a sense of normalcy again, which is, you know, which is good in situations like this. You want you want to make sure guys are okay, and um, you know, you kind of want to be, you know, be certain that guys are going to be able to to kind of handle everything. And and I think tomorrow will, um, um, I think tomorrow we're gonna, you know, kind of like you said, I think tomorrow's the day you get back and. Um, you know, guys are going to be a, a few days into the week already. It, I mean, it feels like it's kind of flown by, but um, I mean, tomorrow's the day. I mean, you, you got two days left until until you have to play another game. So I think tomorrow is going to be the day when guys, you know, really kind of just turn it on and say, okay, now now it's game week. Stay tuned on the podcast. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Elise Jesse, who is a contributor for all Bengals Sports Illustrated and a former TV sportscaster in Cincinnati who's covered the Bengals for almost a decade now. Her and I talk about uh, the other implications for Sunday and the shift that we saw in the locker room. And then Mike Nizek will join us after that to set the stage for Baltimore and beyond. But stay with us. You're listening to the Strictly Stripes podcast. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We're joined by my good friend, Elise Jesse, who covers the Bengals for All Bengals Sports Illustrated. She has her own show through All Bengals, and that's the OT. You can catch it every week on YouTube. She does a great job with it. And for those who don't know, she also used to work for Channel 5 in Cincinnati, covered the Bengals very extensively, knows a lot about the team. Elise, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, crazy crazy week and a crazier day so i really appreciate you uh, making time to be with me today how are you thank you so much for having me on i appreciate it i am i'm good you know how we are on on wednesdays and thursdays we're running around like crazy yeah, and I was going to say, like I mentioned, you used to work in TV. I, I did as well. So I always have that added appreciation for, you know, current and former TV people who know about the grind because it, it really is a, a real grind. Oh, yeah. You just don't stop. Like, you do not stop until your head hits the pillow. And that's just, I mean, for people like you and I, I mean, I'm assuming you you are probably like me. We like that stuff. We like the grind and we like to be busy. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's a hard feeling to explain unless you're in it like you and I. Like it, it's definitely it, it looks crazy on the outside, but in some ways you do kind of enjoy it. Which might sound weird to yeah. the average person, but like you said, you just have to kind of be in it to experience it. But yeah, at least just jumping into it, you know, obviously the big news uh, in the NFL world is uh, the responsiveness of Demar Hamlin. We heard today uh, from medical officials and doctors at UC that you know he has been responsive. He was writing. Uh, literally asking, you know, who won the game, which yeah. you know, that was really nice to see. And I think it's just um, it, it's more than just a silver lining to a lot of just the madness and uncertainty we've seen this week. But, you know, I know just like me, you were in the Bengals locker room. Uh, you talked to quite a few players uh, on your own. I mean, what are kind of some impressions you got from them when, you know, they heard about DeMar Hamlin's responsiveness? And what are some other kind of big takeaways you got just from talking in the locker room today? Um, it, it was honestly, I thought it was pretty tense all week. I mean, in the city, I'm sure it was tense with the players um, because we didn't have any concrete update on DeMar Hamlin's status. Um, and so I thought that going into the locker room today and even seeing Joe Burrow, I felt like there I spoke to Joe a little bit off to the side, not anything, you know, relevant, but just seeing how he's doing. Um, and it seemed like there was a bit of a switch as far as energy was concerned. Um, they seemed more upbeat today, uh, back to playing ping pong. And I think that the big reason why they were seemingly getting back to normal in the locker room was because of that great news that we all got today from the Buffalo Bills about DeMar Hamlin's status. And, you know, cognitively, they're saying that he seems, as of right now, he seems like he's okay. You know, the, the, the light's on and someone is home which is what has been said. And I think that is so important because, you know, we all watch DeMar Hamlin go down. Um, and when you watch someone perform CPR on, on somebody for that, that long, you start to wonder about their oxygen levels and if their brain has been without oxygen. So you really start to wonder about that. Of course, no one reported on that because that would just be speculation. But in your own right. head, you think about that. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the thing is like we talked about this yesterday on the podcast, me and Michael and Andrew, and we talked about our experiences in the press box and what we kind of made of it. And I was telling them it kind of reminded me of Tua Tagovailoa situation until, you know, we heard the word CPR from Joe Buck on the broadcast. But, you know, for you, like, you know, what did you kind of make of that situation? And, you know, I guess for your personal perspective, like, you know, how did you kind of get through that? And, you know, just really observing it the way everyone else did in the press box. I mean, I will be honest at first, I thought that it was just a typical injury and, you know, we, we couldn't see exactly who was down because medical personnel were, were covering him. And then later on bills, players started to, you know, basically form a wall around him. Um, but once it started hitting, you know, they were, he was on the field and it started to hit four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, nine, 11, 15, um, you know, we're so used to seeing injuries. Yes. But you always have that conclusion at the end where you see the guy give the thumbs up and feel it relief. And then you can go back to paying atten- attention to the game, but that just didn't happen on Monday night. Um, and granted you and I were not ground level. I can't even imagine what the players went through, honestly, because, you know, they were right there and seeing everything, you know, just feet away from them and seeing how, you know, their friends and for, and co-players were reacting to that situation, I think hit them a little harder than they expected. Um, and I, <laughs> I think a lot of them are just kind of thinking about more than, than just playing football. I mean, I don't know if you were the same way, but when I was 22, I thought that I was invincible and that nothing could touch me. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. I think that a lot of them felt the same way until Monday night. That's the thing about it. And I think that's the biggest, I should say one of the biggest takeaways from that night is, you know, like I'm 24. I'm not much younger or older than some of those players. Like Cal Adamitis is my age. Um, Jamar Chase is younger than me. Like, you know, Jamar's 22 going on 23. Joe Burrow's a little bit older than me. Like, it's just weird because I can relate to a lot of these guys because, you know, like even Jermaine Pratt's only a couple months older than me, which is weird to think. But, you know, you think about that invincibility factor, like, they're humans it goes without saying they're humans before they're athletes but you know i think sometimes what gets forgotten when you know you're upset that maybe their pff grade wasn't good or you know you didn't get the fancy points you wanted like you have to put that perspective and realize like that doesn't matter at the end of the day what matters is you know this is a person this is a brother this is a son it's a father a nephew an uncle and their humanity really showed and i think that's the positive overall silver lining is like there really was hope from players coaches even outside the football world like my mom is the farthest thing from a football fan and she's been glued she's been glued to the news and she's been asking me you know what do you know what do you know because it shows you like people really care people really want to be looking out for one another so that that's reassuring but you know i want to go back to the point you made about there was a switch that you saw in the players and i couldn't agree more i think from talking to a lot of them like t higgins um Evan McPherson for me, Ted Karras, I know you talked to, I think it was Jermaine Pratt and a few others. Why is that so important? Like if that switch wasn't there, could you have seen maybe where that might affect this Sunday's game at one o'clock with the Ravens? What do you make of that? I think so. I think they all are extremely, even though they're, most of them are young. um, I think all of them are extremely professional and Yes, there. most of them. I mean, I know DJ Reader yesterday said that he wasn't in the frame of mind to make the decision on whether or not he could he would play. But I, I guarantee if you asked him today if he would play on Sunday, I have a feeling he would say yeah. 
Um, I think their minds were not in the spot to think about football yet until they knew that DeMar Hamlin was okay. Um, and I think that it would have affected the way that they took the field on Sunday because, you know, they're, they're entering the exact field that they just witnessed, you know, something scary and, and tragic and jarring on Monday night. So they're going right back to, to the field to play the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, of course, every single player in the NFL, I mean, we all, we all were affected by what happened and we don't even play in the NFL. Every NFL player was affected. Every former NFL player was affected thinking that could have been me or what if that is me? What, what if something like that happens to me? Um, so yes, the, the Baltimore Ravens were removed from the situation. They weren't there firsthand, but they are affected as well. The players' minds, the coaches' minds are being forced to shift to the Baltimore Ravens. They are being forced into the game plan um, and diving into game planning for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and I do think that they would all come out and they would try their best and they would execute at the highest level that they possibly could and try to win that game because, you know, what would help them feel better after going through something like that? A win would certainly help. A loss would not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with all of that, at least to kind of wrap up, because I know your time is tight, like I said, on a very crazy Thursday, that's normally not this crazy. <laughs> um, you know, you how, how long have you covered the team with Channel 5 and Sports Illustrated? That was Has it been 10 years for you now? How long has it been? Almost. It's so crazy to even say this. I, <laughs> I started covering the Cincinnati Bengals on the week of November 4th, 2013. <laughs> wow. So all, almost a decade. I was close. I thought it was almost yeah. about 10 years. Yeah, you're right. It's it's like, it's insane. I, I covered, you've seen Vinny Ray walking around. I used to cover him when he was playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, it's crazy. And that was Landbox yeah. was here, like George I. Loka, Adam Pacman Jones, Tyler Eifert, like all those guys. That is so crazy. It, it's it's weird for me hearing that because like I was in high school. Like you know, I grew up in <laughs> I grew up an hour south of Cincinnati and you know Lexington, Kentucky. Like I admittedly, I tell people on the podcast, I grew up following the Bengals, which is funny that I'm covering them now. But you know, the reason why I asked that is because like you've seen really the different phases in the Bengals franchise in the 21st century. You've seen the Andy Dalton, AJ Green era. You've seen. You know, when they were in the playoffs and you saw the era with Marvin Lewis when they weren't in the playoffs. Then you saw the era with Zach when he came before Joe Burrow, post Joe Burrow, Super Bowl Burrow. Like you've pretty much seen it all. Yeah. So when you think about all of that collectively with all that you've done as a reporter and the amazing work that you've done as a reporter, Thank you. you know, of course, when you think about all of that, how does this moment in time, this where we are this week, how does this compare to what you've seen from any kind of unity from any Bengals team that you've covered in the last 10 years? You know what? I thought that the 2015 year, I mean, I remember saying in all the years I've covered the Bengals, 2015 was my favorite year. They started that season eight. No, they were, you know, like brothers, literally like joking with each other, cracking jokes at each other, messing with each other in every single interview with the media. Um, they they just had a lightheartedness about them, and they were just so fun to be around. Like, their energy was infectious, and it was extremely fun. And then, 
towards the end of that, obviously in the end of that season, the conclusion of that season was the AFC wildcard game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I will never forget walking into that locker room and all of the energy was just sucked out of that, out of that locker room after that 18 to 16 loss. Um, and it, it, it was sh- such a drastic shift of emotions compared to this whole season leading up and the final moments in that game when they knew that they would not be moving on and they would not be winning the first playoff game in over two decades. Um, and now I see this team and they have a lot of, you know, the same qualities and even better qualities because you have a lot of energy in the current locker room. Um, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, I've talked to so many players and they say, you know, we go over to each other's houses and we know each other's families. We play cards together. We hang out and watch football together. We like they do everything together. They eat together. They are always together. So they have that energy, the camaraderie, that brotherhood. But then you also have a lot of guys, which I think that the the former Bengals teams could have used, which is just a calming presence. And I think Joe Burrow is the leader of that calming presence. Um, he kind of keeps everyone even keeled. He keeps everyone steady. And, so, you know, some guys get really excited and, um, you know, their energy is like, top level one that I could never match. And then you see some guys that are just, they're naturally just low energy people. Um, and Joe Burrow keeps it calm, keeps it even. And I think that that's, that's an element that was certainly missing in the past. And this, this locker room is a lot of fun to cover. It's certainly crazy. All of the things that you just named. Cause I, I don't think I've ever just sat down and thought about the, almost 10 years of covering this team and how drastically it has changed. Your roster is, is so different. Um, but it's obviously, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's a challenge and this team has a lot to play for. And I really enjoy covering people who their work, they enjoy their teammates. And I mean, it's, it's just a really fun time to be a reporter in Cincinnati. Well, you're right about that. It's a fun time, and I, I don't, you know, I'm not shocked to hear you say that you enjoy this because uh, you definitely, you know, when you, one thing I can appreciate, just journalists, journalists, is I love the way you, you know, how to connect with the players, you know, how to really get them on the same page as you, to where you know you, you're not just asking a good question, but you're asking a question that they can relate to. You do a great job of that, and that's why you are the Emmy Award-winning sports reporter that you are. Um, but you know, to go back to what you said about how fun it is, it, it's a culture shift, and this is not to take away from what you know, Coach Lewis or Andy Dalton or AJ Green did in Cincinnati. They certainly brought a lot of good times to the you know folks in Cincinnati but it goes back to the culture, the importance of culture. Like, you know, uh, Burrow said yesterday, like, I couldn't have been more proud to play for a coach like Zach. You know, Bills fans, you know, opponents who, you know, opponents are supposed to be like, you know, going at each other. No, if anything, Bills fans are like, those people in Cincinnati are lucky to have Zach Taylor. And they are. I mean, what this man has done, not just from an X's and O's standpoint, the leadership and the love and respect that he's put into those guys is so admirable. And I think people have already known that. And it, this just really put that on display with the way he communicated with Sean McDermott and Josh Allen and everyone else involved with the situation. Um, so, you know, when you just look at all the positivity that's come out of this, you know, you can't overlook Zach Taylor in his role. So that that was such a refreshing perspective that you provide and I couldn't be more uh grateful to have you on like I said uh, Elise it really has been a pleasure never enough time but again that is Elise Jesse 
She covers the Bengals for all Bengals Sports Illustrated. She has her own show, The OT. And what, what day of the week can people catch us on YouTube, Elise? Is it Wednesday or Thursday? It kicks off tonight at 8 o'clock, Thursday night. There you go, 8 o'clock. So for, <laughs> for those of you who might be hearing this after 8 o'clock, you can go back and watch it on YouTube if you miss it. Again, Elise Jesse, uh, someone I'm very blessed to call a fellow friend, fellow journalist. Thank you so much for your time, Elise. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Likewise. Don't go away. We've got more on the Strictly Stripes podcast when we come back. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Andrew, we heard from the great Elise Jesse, who's one of the best at what she does. And we also have Mike back, a very, very, very busy man who – I don't know how you, you crank out all these articles, Mike. You've really been uh, – you know, it's not that – I'd like to thank Andrew and I. We we work a little bit, but you, in all seriousness, you, you've definitely been on top of a lot of stuff today. Um, especially as you know, me and Andrew were talking about the breaking news that came in with the playoff scenarios that are going to be likely given what will happen after they canceled the Bills Bengals game. Um, but you know, I want to kind of move a little more forward to that Sunday game now that that's somewhat set in stone. I guess to really lay it out. We're probably not going to see Lamar Jackson again. He did not practice all week. Really hasn't practiced in over a month. So it looks like Tyler Huntley is going to be the man once again under center. Um, the other thing that's going to be different on the other side of the ball, more specifically, is they're going to have Roquan Smith, that linebacker, who they didn't have the last time they played because that was in week five before the trade deadline. So since then, they have gotten Smith from the, ball, or from the Chicago Bears to the Ravens. Um, and when you already have Patrick Queen, who has done pretty well against the Bengals, including his former LSU teammate, a guy named Joe Burrow that you and I both know. Safe to say that it's a pretty good matchup. And if you guys remember, when Joe Mixon was talking about the Bills linebackers at this time last week, he said, you know, they're pretty good, but they're not the Ravens. And I'll actually talk more about that because I talked to Mixon about that today. And so, yeah, I mean, right away, just before we get to Lamar Jackson, when you look at that matchup, the linebackers, that the Ravens have, how much of a challenge is it going to be compared to what we saw in week five for the Bengals? Uh, I, you know, as much as that may, you know, the Ravens defense is playing well. Um, and, and yeah, they're, they're improved and, you know, they've got a playmaker, Rokon Smith. I mean, does really, do we really think they have a chance here without Lamar Jackson? Is this is this a debate? Andrew? What do you Andrew? What do you think? I don't know. You're the expert here, Andrew. You, you covered yeah, this team um, at one point. I, I, I do. Um, I, I don't think it's a very good chance. Um, but I think that the Ravens have a chance for a few reasons. Um, you know, you, you're talking about a Bengals team who is playing on a short week, kind of after everything. I think that that matters. But I mean, the Ravens have played. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson got hurt in that Denver game on um, on December fourth. Since that day, in, or including that day, I should say, they've scored 10, 16, 3, 17, and 13 points. They are 3-2 and two in those games. Now, granted, you know, the offenses, that they, the offenses that they've played have been nowhere near as good as what they're going to play in Cincinnati. Um, you know, but I, but I do think that there is something to be said for kind of how, how well the Ravens' defense is playing. You know, Brian Callahan alluded to it today that the Ravens. I, you know, you kind of glossed over the wins. <laughs> the wins were over Denver, <laughs> yeah, right? That, that's what Pittsburgh, I'm 
Yeah. No, Pittsburgh <laughs> and Atlanta. Nowhere near as good as what they're going to play. But I and they only score. I guess the Cleveland game was in bad. Was that the Cleveland game in bad weather? Was that the cold day, or was that came week later? Because they only scored three points in that game. Wait, that wasn't was, really bad weather. I think it was just like I, I don't. That know. wasn't the really cold. That wasn't the really cold game. That was uh, that wait, came two weeks world. later. But I don't. Which Browns game? Which Browns game? We're talking about from last year. No, no, on week fifteen this year, he his they're they're three and two, oh. and one one of the two losses was a thirteen three loss to the Cleveland Browns. This yeah, is oh, who's going to be at home. Uh, yeah, at home. No, it was at the road. Are we talking, cool. talking about the Ravens? Talking about the Ravens? Well, that was a pretty bad weather game. Like, did you see how many field goals were missed? I mean, even Justin Tucker missed like what two field goals? I think in that game that he normally makes. So actually, I'm gonna push back and say weather did have something to do with it. Because it was pretty bad in Cleveland. I was watching at the airport because we were going. That's what I was, I was asking. It was a bad weather game, but but either yeah. way, um, you know, their three wins were against some of the worst teams in the league, right. um, and so like I, you know, this Bengals team hasn't looked has just completely been a different team since losing to Baltimore all the way back in whatever week that was. It's it's late week five. Um, week five. Um, I just I. I can't give them any chance. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I mean, I think the the Bengals are obviously a much better team, even with Lamar Jackson. Like, if you have to play the Ravens in in the playoffs, I mean, that's probably what you want. Um, now that the two seed is kind of off the table here, you you, you want to play a team that has Tyler Huntley playing quarterback or hasn't had their quarterback play since, or is you know is having him play his first game since December fourth. Um, the only thing that would kind of worry me if I were, if I were the Bengals is that Brian, I think Brian Callahan was right when he said this, like the, the, the Ravens have zero weapons on offense. So what they try to do is drag you into the mud and kind of run the ball, limit your possessions. And, and I think that that is kind of where you can get into trouble against a team like this. If you turn the ball over once or twice, um, you know, if you get, you know, Joe Burrow has been really, really good with turnovers and not uh, creating them. But you get a tip ball interception or something like that. And the Ravens turn around with a six and a half minute touchdown drive. Um, you know that I think that their their job is to shorten the game. So, you know, I'm not going to say that they have no chance. Um, I do think the Bengals are going to win. But to me, I mean, their their defense is too talented to just dismiss it out of hand. One thing, don't you think the most intriguing, so, you know, back to these, you guys have talked about the playoff scenarios without me. I don't think I heard you mention this. So they're going to, so if Baltimore wins, there's going to be a coin toss, right? Um, to determine where the game is played. So if Baltimore wins, I just tweeted out this scenario. So if Baltimore wins, the Chargers also have to win. So if the Chargers beat yes. the Broncos, um, which again, oh, so they're scheduled to play. So, but but if they're scheduled to play, do they wait to determine? So like, if Baltimore wins and the Chargers game's decided like like slightly before or after, do they hold the coin toss at the stadium after the game? That's a good question. I actually, that, I, just, I, I don't know. Just tweeted. I want to see the TV ratings on the coin decides two K twenty three. <laughs> like, like, I, like, do you televise the coin toss? I feel like I think, I think you okay, have to. I just know there's, not, there's no shenanigans, right? And like, who you gets to, to call it? 
I think you stay. I think you make it a. I think you do it on the field after the game. I, I think you so do basically too. Basically, like the Ravens, or the, excuse me, the so in this scenario, it would be. Um, here, actually, let me look up what time. I don't know. I would assume. Well, the game's in Denver, so they're not playing at one o'clock. Uh, right. So if the Chargers play later, that would yeah, be a that's the issue. So you have oh, to that's do the it. issue. You yeah. have to do they it. play a four. No, keep them. Keep everybody in the stadium. Do you know how sloppy fans would get if they had to wait till eight o'clock at night for a coin toss? Keep. They're keep gonna have the, to wait one way or the other. Keep the concessions open. Keep the concessions open. You can make a few bucks. But is it going to outweigh the labor costs? Now you get some economics here because I do have a business minor, so you got to consider that because you got to pay I for labor too. Sales, I think the beer sales would outweigh the uh, the expenses. That is such a good question. Who gets to call it? Is it an in? I know, right? The referees, like, the have, coaches. Do they have a Do they have a coin toss to determine who calls the coin toss? So. <laughs> So basically, this is if you've ever seen the movie Friday Night Lights. This is just that movie where, like, the coach. I that's what they need to do. The coaches, John Harbaugh and Zach Taylor, need to meet at a diner in the middle of nowhere and just flip a coin and just see what happens. Like, that's what you have to do. Like, oh my god! Or they, or here's the better way to do it: they arm wrestle to determine who gets to call the coin toss. Oh, that's not fair because, the, like, coin tosses are neutral. But, like, what if Zach Taylor's in better shape than John Harbaugh? Between, who ruins an arm wrestling contest between John Harbaugh and Zach Taylor? Zach Taylor! Okay, Zach Taylor! That's not even a debate. You're crazy. Zach Taylor, like, he's 20 years younger wow, and way better shape. up about this. Wow. I mean, it, it's just do obvious. You know a, like, do you know Zach what Taylor, arm, in good shape. arm wrestling is? I'm well aware of what arm wrestling is. Okay. I'm telling you, no. No, no disrespect. I don't know if I bet against the hardball. I no they disrespect. Did a lot of a wrestling in the uh, hardball dungeon there. Hey, no disrespect to the hardballs, but I, I don't know, man. Like Zach Taylor, it, look, it seems like yesterday he was throwing dimes at Nebraska and Wake Forest. I don't know, guys. Like, I mean, he's you see him; he's in pretty good shape. But um, now I'm just getting ahead of myself. I don't even know where I just went with that. But um, man, I didn't even think about that. Like. That, I feel like that's the big question now, isn't what's going to happen is where is the coin toss going to be? That is the investigation that requires some deep, deep digging, right? But in all seriousness, um, no, that is, yeah, it's going to be really wonky. I, yeah, like you said, Angel, I, I think that's like Friday Night Lights, man. We're, we're, we're just going through it. Like, I don't want to say life is a movie, but sometimes it is a movie if you want to subjectively describe it at that but let's let's wrap up here with something exciting that we can all agree on that is exciting that i think got a little bit buried with the crazy news cycle the other day and that is Bengals fans remember the great the big the awesome willie anderson he is officially one of the 15 finalists um semi-finalists, I should say, to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, they're going to have the final list. I want to say, Andrew, they usually narrow that down right before the Super Bowl, right? Or they announce it before the Super Bowl of who's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this this summer. Yeah. Is that um, right? I think yeah, if, if my Super timing Bowl, is correct. The Super Bowl is on, uh, I believe, February 12th. Uh, yes, no, it is. The Super Bowl is on February 12th. Um, they're going to announce this on February 9th at 9 p.m. Um, yes. Now, it, sometimes it trickles through before, but yeah. So you'll know three days before before the game takes place. 
Now, this is a really, really big deal because there's only one Cincinnati Bengal who's in the Hall of Fame, and that's, funny enough, another tackle who's also one of the best at his position, Anthony Munoz, who played in two Super Bowls when the Bengals had those great teams in the 1980s, uh, a time that I think Bengals fans are trying to revive now with Joe Burrow. But, I mean, do you do you guys remember watching him? I know he retired. And actually, Andrew, it's funny, his last year was with the Ravens, ironically. His only year there was his last year there in 2008. Do you guys remember watching him at all? Like, does he come to mind? Uh, no, I mean, you know, I grew up in the Chicago area. We were, we didn't get much, uh, AFC, obviously, uh, games. So Cincinnati wasn't on very much. Um, I'm obviously aware of who he was, um, uh, and, and, you know, how talented he was, but that wasn't a guy that, um, you know, much more familiar looking at the list, you know, obviously, uh, you know, a Jared Allen, uh, type, um, you know, somebody like that, Reggie Wayne, I saw a lot of, or, or not Reggie Wayne. Uh, who else was on there? Um, Joe Thomas, Darrell Rivas. Joe Thomas. Yeah, some of those guys. But yeah, no, not uh, Dwight, not Dwight, Dwight Freeney. Yeah, so uh, not 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 huge memories of of Willie. You know, for me, I mean, it's I mean, I know you guys are gonna know what I'm gonna say because I'm, you know, I grew up watching the Bengals, but. I mean, just what sticks out to me is like, I mean, like what he was like six five, six six. I'd say he's about six five. He was almost three fifty. So talk about a behemoth of a tackle. What's so impressive is like the Bengals, for like most of the time he was there, were objectively bad. Like he was there for a two and fourteen season. Most years he was there were losing seasons. Yet he made uh, four Pro Bowls. He was a four time All Pro. Uh, honoree you know and he did that with multiple quarterbacks until obviously they had Carson Palmer who gave them stability for about a decade you know and the good thing for Big Willie is he got to make it to the playoffs at least once in his career it was cut super short uh the first annoyed time he made it but I think that's what sticks out to me is he did so much with so little around him and that's really hard to do I think that's part of why you have to make a case for him uh, to do that because, you know, I'm looking at this too. He was the first right tackle to make the Pro Bowl in four straight years since Jackie Slater, who's the father of New England Patriots special teamer Matthew Slater. And since then, there hasn't been a right tackle in the NFL who's done that. Right tackle specifically because he played at right tackle. So he is in kind of league of his own. Um, I know offensive linemen are very subjective because they don't really – come to mind like a wide receiver where you see him make a catch or quarterback making a throw. But if you really watch guys like that closely enough, then yeah, there's a case to be made. I think that he should get in. But I want to really kind of ask you guys this. I mean, like you, you mentioned some of those names like Darrell Rivas, Dwight Freeney. I think even was I think Andre Johnson was on that list too, right? Mm-hmm. Or what was yeah, Andre Johnson, like Patrick Willis. I mean, I, I know, Mike, you kind of watched them when you were, like, probably our age now in the mid-20s. But, like, Andrew, do you feel old seeing this? Like, I honestly feel really old, the fact that I watch these guys in their prime and they're maybe getting into the Hall of Fame. Like, how does that make you feel? Um, Yeah. I mean, like, I remember the draft um, where, uh, where Joe Thomas got drafted. Um, you know, that was the one where everybody kind of thought Brady Quinn was going to Cleveland. Um I remember that. I remember Patrick Willis getting drafted. Uh, you know, I remember I have vague memories of watching those Miami teams play in the early 2000s. Like I remember Andre Johnson when he was at college. 
Um, Devin Hester, obviously, like the the return from Devin Hester. Oh was man, was unreal. So like, there's um, oh man, there's a lot of really cool names on here. Um, the one that I am bothered by, I'm always bothered every year that Joe Jacoby doesn't make the list. Um, I feel like he he doesn't get enough consideration in terms of offense. If we're talking about offensive linemen, that's fair. But I, I'm gonna say, um, you, you know, Mike, you said you're from the Chicago area. You, did you grow up a big Bears fan? Well, I mean, a Devin Hester, I think, is absolutely deserving of a of the Hall of Fame. I mean, if you talk about a player on that list, I don't think anyone had a more of an impact uh, than he did when he was at his prime. You know, probably the what first five years of his career when you know, yeah, just fundamentally changed, shortened the field, changed the game. Uh, obviously, records setting with his his returns. Um, and if you want to talk about an impact, you know, Hall of Fame impact, um, his, his career. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't as long. Uh, maybe it wasn't, you know, like the, the length of it was a little shorter in terms of, um, you know, his prime. But I mean, I just think you, you, when you change the game and teams actively avoid you because they think you'll, you'll break, you know, you'll, you'll literally break the game. Um, I think that's pretty important. So I, I think he's as deserving as any candidate on that list, to be honest. I know he's, yeah. you know, special teams players, you know, do, is he, is he, knocked for not having any really stats on offense um, or, or being that great of a wide receiver. Um, I, I don't think he should be just because, I mean, you know, special teams is a huge part of the game. And so, yeah, I think he's, he's more than deserving. Yeah, I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And like, I'll never forget when Adam Vinatieri was talking to NFL films about how their special teams coach, I forget uh, his name. They were trying to like avoid it. No, first they wanted to avoid it, and then they're like, no, we're going to kick it to him to show we're not scared of him. But we all know who won that battle. And for me, I love and respect Devin Nestor because that was the first ever play of a Super Bowl that I watched. I mean, that I remember at least because before that, I kind of watched some Super Bowls, but I didn't take them seriously. But I started really getting into football when I was like eight and a half, and that's how old I was when Hester played in that Super Bowl, like between the Bears and Peyton Manning's Colts. So like – you know, he really, really gave me a heck of an introduction to the Super Bowl. So for that, I'm going to give him my vote to the Hall of Fame. But it's, of course, it's not up to us. It's up to the Hall of Fame voter. So I'm definitely excited to see it. Uh, just for you, Mike, and for myself, I hope Devin Hester gets in. Also rooting for Willie Anderson. Would love to see another Cincinnati Bengals show out. Um, and that is going to be something exciting to look forward to with, you know, uh, everything coming up, but stay with us. We're going to have more tomorrow on game predictions, uh, a more solid confirmation of what the playoff, imp- playoff implications mean that we know about, plus much, much more. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis and Mike Nislik, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care.